0: Welcome to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. There is so much to talk about. You know the Writers Guild of America Strike is on everyone's radar, certainly on mine. And Raul, how about you? You know about it, right?
1: Oh yeah, if you turn on the TV, everything's going dark. All the the sitcoms, all (laughs) the quite yet. Not
0: Not yet. We're holding out for some type of resolution, but certainly the late night shows are going to go into reruns. That's Mm -hmm. what I've heard, right? So I've been digging into this strike because I find it fascinating. I wanted to know what are the issues on the table? Who's negotiating for the Writers Guild? All of that's coming up. And Raul, you're going to give us another perspective, right?
1: Yeah, because this strike is just one of many. I right. mean, in a long string of strikes. And we've all heard about the Hollywood union or guild system. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about that also. So people kind of understand how Hollywood works from the labor perspective.
0: The unions have been there for for years,
1: yeah. right? Really, uh, for about a hundred years now. <laughs> Seriously, it, when I say a hundred years, I'm always thinking, you know, the, the Wild West in the 1900s. A hundred years ago was 1920, right? right you right. know, Or 1923. Right. So, yes.
0: And we've got fun things coming up. I recently saw Little Richard, I Am Everything. It's the documentary. Oh, my God, that was so cool. Wait till you... I I know you're going to put some into this one because Because there's so much about Little Richard that I love. And didn't know.
1: And little Richard is one of the kings of rock and roll, right? He
0: is the king of rock and roll, let me
1: tell you. Well, there's Chuck Berry. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man. He did stuff that no one else did. Amazing. His journey is amazing. And then you've got a film review, right?
1: Yeah, I want to talk about the new Dracula, (laughs) hybrid Dracula film, Renfield. Oh, my God, we've got a mishmash of show today. It's an eclectic day. (laughs) seems like our writers are on strike or something. We're just kind of hodgepodging it today. You are listening to
0: KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. Gail Stewart here, your producer and host, along with my good colleague, Professor Raul Sandlin. We will be coming right back, so stay tuned. Welcome back to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. Hey, the WGA Writers Guild of America West and East strike is very interesting. You know, I used to be, Raul, in a union at Channel 8. KFMB, right, locally here, until management, they busted the union. Right? Oh, did yeah,
1: they? Yeah. But, I've... I
0: mean, we were still in after and SAG. Basically, I was always in after from radio. But they did. They busted the union at, mm. at Channel 8 KFMB.
1: Yeah, I've actually belonged to a lot of unions, so I've sort of seen the decline of unions. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that the union is making a comeback, a big comeback, because people are fed up. Workers well, there,
1: are. And there's labor shortages now, as yeah. we've seen post-COVID. You know, everybody was hiring... You know, people were closing down because they couldn't hire enough people. So there is, I mean, in that respect, labor is at an advantage. I believe that the
0: WGA is on firm footing here. They want better pay, they want a career path, and they want residuals on streaming shows. All of that is kind of what is making... Uh, these negotiations pretty tough. So, just so that we can kind of get some landscape on this, the WGA is negotiating with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. It's AMPTP. And that includes Netflix, Amazon, Apple, Disney, Discovery, Warner, NBC, Universal, Paramount, and Sony. Just basically everything that I watch, right? Absolutely. And there's the West and there's the East. If you're on the East of the Mississippi River.
1: New York versus LA.
0: Right. Basically, that's how it... And there's picket lines in both, and they're picketing in New York at all the studios there, and they're picketing in Los Angeles, just up the road from us here at most of the studios there. So it, this is a live, very fluid story that's happening. There's no aspect of scripted television development, the process actually, that hasn't fundamentally changed in the past decade. We're we talking about technology and what it has done. It's the rise of streaming, and it has accelerated the industry's focus from linear television to an on-demand system, right? We're just in the, we're in our living room and we're pressing a button and I want to go to Paramount and I want to go to Hulu and I want to go to Amazon. And it's, It's one, two,
1: three. We're following the path of least resistance. You know, you don't have to get in the car and drive with the kids to the theater anymore. Now you just sit on your couch and do it all with your remote.
0: That's right. There are more platforms and opportunities for writers, that's like you and me, Mm -hmm. to get a show on the air.
1: And then we've talked about the explosion of content, Mm -hmm. especially post-COVID. There's just so much, so many people have done really good projects. Absolutely. that, That goes for all the arts, too. I mean, music, writing. but um, well, we came out movie, of that
0: pandemic just re- a creative force to, as a humanity. Absolutely. Ready to roll. Right. Yeah. So, so all that expansion has put a strain on the talent pool needed To make television, right? And that's forced innovations in the way the shows are conceived, developed, ordered, and even produced. So I just want to kind of start at the beginning, which is the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, West, that's here up in LA, key negotiators for that team, David Young, the executive director of the guild. He took a mysterious medical leave just before the strike happened, which is, we don't know what why he took a medical, but Ellen Stutzman, I got to tell you, she's no slouch. She graduated from Cornell University with a BS in industrial and labor relations, and then later received her master's at the very prestigious UCLA Anderson School of Management. Uh, she is a labor negotiator. Okay. She works for the guild. Yeah, okay. yeah that's her. She's the uh, assistant executive mm-hmm. director. So she's the chief negotiator. And then we have uh, Tony Siegel Is the uh, WGA attorney, longtime LA attorney, but I've read that he basically plays more of an advisor role because you you leave the labor negotiations up to the labor leaders, right? And so that's where Ellen Stutzman comes in. What are the writers asking for, right? So they're asking for an increase minimum compensation significantly to address the devaluation of writing in all areas of television news media.
1: Well, yeah, uh, writers have always All artists are entitled to residuals or royalties, Mm -hmm. you know, and as long as the project keeps, uh, is alive, you know, we see sitcoms on TV or movies in the theaters, the people who worked on that get paid for it. Well, not
0: always, because they want standardized. Another one of the issues on the table is standardized compensation and residual terms for features, whether released theatrically or... Or streaming. So whether it's in the theater or whether you just press a button and get it in your living room, they want those residuals. Uh, so, and then another one of the major issues, major issues is the mini rooms, the mini writer rooms. Okay. The mini rooms are replacing the traditional pilot development process, which is one of the more hotly debated developments of this whole strike. In an earlier era when broadcast television was the only game in town, a big budget script TV show, um, they went through a, the very predictable process. You know, the, you, develop the pilot and then you order the series, but now, because of like giants like Netflix, pilots are becoming the exception rather than the rule. Just as a series with the episode orders of six, 10, or 13 episodes per season compared to what it used to be. Like West Wing, that was 24 episodes a season, not six or eight, right?
1: You do whatever you can get away with, I think. All the rules, as we've been saying all along, all the rules are kind of being thrown out or at least tested. So, you know, the old traditional TV season doesn't quite apply anymore. They wanna ensure appropriate television series
0: writing compensation throughout the entire process. And that is pre-production, Production and post production. In addition, they want to expand protections to cover all television writers. And then you want to apply the MBA, which is the minimum basic agreement minimums to comedy variety programs made for say new media, right? And then they also want increased residuals for undercompensated reuse markets. So this is a whole other thing about the residuals. It just doesn't go away because they're not getting their fair share from the big studios on these, on these uh, streaming, streaming, uh, products. But the thing of it is, is that writers just want to have a career path and they don't currently have a career path right now in Hollywood.
1: It sounds like a lot of the age-old issues, you know, certainly compensation. Mm -hmm. It also sounds like a lot, the whole creative process is under attack in many ways.
0: I think you're right on that one. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I just wanted to mention, because you had mentioned the mini rooms, Mm -hmm. and those are replacing sort of something that used to be a sacred cow, and Mm -hmm. that was the writer's room.
0: Yeah, but we had a recent example when we were doing the review of the uh, Young and Restless, right? Oh yeah, the, and, the soap opera. Yes, and how they closed the writer's room and I th- but one guy was gonna take over doing the writing. It that's was right. unbelievable, right? I just couldn't imagine it. But that's the squeeze we're talking about in Hollywood right now.
1: The producer slash head writer mm-hmm. basically took everything over. fired the rest of the writing staff. And that's, again, we're almost talking, you know, 10 jobs there.
0: Stay tuned. Professor Raul Sandlin is going to give us a historical foundation for this strike. We're going to look back at what happened before. Plus, reviews of Little Richard, I Am Everything, and the new comedy horror film Renfield, all coming up on the San Diego's only Social Justice Network. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. We are talking about the Writers Guild strike going on in New York and in Los Angeles. And we are standing behind that strike. And the writers who are walking the picket line, people, you know. So, Raul, give us some history about
1: this. We've probably all heard about the Hollywood union or guild system. There's a plumber's union, an electrical union, but these unions are there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I just want to point out a, a more modern case where the union system kind of broke down and that's the Alec Baldwin film Rust.
0: Ooh, that's okay? interesting. That was an interesting case. Because
1: yeah. the Armors Guild is one of these unions and mm-hmm. they, while the plumbers are making sure the faucets turn on and the electricians are making Mm -hmm. sure nobody gets zapped by the juice. The armors are making sure that all of the weaponry used on a set, you know, is safe.
0: By the way, uh, charges were dropped against Alec Baldwin on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is the deal: the WGA strike right now has a long, convoluted history, and it's and I got to tell you, it's about technology, right?
1: Back when the first big strike occurred in 1988, it was v when things were going to VHS. If you remember, straight to video. A lot of the early video stores were opening, and the the slice of the profit coming from theater showings um, of the movies you know is being dipped into right you know and we saw sort of in the 80s the first sort of uh, chinks in the armor of Mm. the old theater system. You know, from 1988 on, it became more. Let's stay home and watch the movies. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to uh, the the last strike, which was in the year what was it, 2007? Right. Again, you had issues with DVD. Again, movies going straight to DVD. Mm-hmm. So, as the technology advanced, it also took away the the profit sharing. Well, that 1988 strike looks like a traditional labor strike. Mm -hmm. You know, as you said, they were out for hundreds of days. 153
0: 153 days.
1: 153 days. So that's a long strike. You know, they got some, they didn't get everything, but it looked like labor flexing its muscle. The truth is technology from 1988 to 2007 to 2023 seems to be, you know, whittling away at the number of human beings that need to be in the room.
0: Well, I just don't see how they, uh, the alliance, can actually win this one. Only because we're talking about East and West Guild both coming together, both walking the picket lines, and they are—they're fortified. I mean, they're fortified with the fact that. People have become so dependent on their streaming services, about new shows, this you know, ADD that we all have, where we go from one series to the next, to the next, to the next. I mean, I binged throughout the entire pandemic, right? I don't know who else didn't. And I think it is even more fortified because of the fact that there is such a demand for these products, okay? Like never before, never before. And they're expanding their subscriptions all the time. Huge amounts of money are Being made is being made, and they are not paying these writers a fair wage for a career path, right? Or their pension.
1: And that's a big part of this strike, correct? Is that now the writers want a piece of the pie that's been now divvied up amongst Amazon, Netflix, Apple,
0: Paramount,
1: everybody. Here's a question, and I don't know if we have an answer to this, but I saw Sony. Mm-hmm. On everything, mm-hmm. you know, and I remember even you know several times having to deal with Sony. Where's Sony in this? Do we know Sony's
0: part of it? They're it, part of the alliance, absolutely. A, a part
1: of the alliance because yep. oh, they yeah. uh, they kind of own the alliance. If I mean, they a lot of these other entities are owned by Sony.
0: Mm-hmm. I will say if there is a weakness, it's um, and there's a, a you know new articles all the time about it. Is that the strikers are saying that the studios are making a gig economy out of the writer's room, okay? And, and they have. They yeah, have. Yeah. They
1: have successfully done that with the streaming, right? We've gone from jobs to freelance. That's right. You're that's not right. hired as an employee with benefits, with, you know, an hourly wage, residuals, etc. You're just hired per project.
0: With the runaway success of streaming, the unions, the union is asking for higher payments and residuals, higher payments for streaming series that are popular. They have their eye on the AI as well, asking for a commitment from the alliance of motion pictures and television producers that they won't use AI to replace writers in the future. Now, I don't know if they're going to get that if they will or not but they certainly are trying to do it and you know again i would just want to mention that there's international markets are at stake and so all of this, you know, 15 years later from the 1988 to the 2007 strike, we're here now, 2023, um, it's no longer digital downloads. It's, you know, it's the billions that are being made by streaming subscriptions and writers want higher residuals than they're currently getting. And they want to be rewarded
1: for working on tops of successful shows, right? Digital has and technology has opened up new markets. That's right. Okay? And yeah, and so new people are seeing Hollywood productions like never before. And
0: the studios are
1: making billions. So now the writers are just trying to just, catch up.
0: Just give me a piece of the pie. That's yeah. all we want. So we don't know how this strike is going to end, you know. It's we're still in the strike. They are still walking the picket lines. The San Diego Screenwriter's Studio is behind the Writers Guild of America.
1: Social justice.
0: (laughs) So there you go. So stay strong, okay? And we'll be right back. We're going to talk about Little Richard, I Am Everything. What a great movie. And Renfield, right? Yes,
1: Renfield, the new Dracula film. Mm, All right. You're
0: listening to the San Diego Screenwriter's Studio on KNSJ. All right, you're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio. I'm Gail Stewart here, your producer and co-host, along with Professor Raul Sandalen by my side here. Hey, now you love music. You know all about the history of rock and roll, Raul. What about Little Richard?
1: Actually, I, you know, it's funny. They always say that Elvis is the king of rock and roll, but I always thought that Little Richard and Chuck Berry were the kings of rock yeah, and roll. Yeah, well, you know what?
0: Little Richard, this new documentary is out, and it's called Little Richard, I Am Everything. And throughout this documentary, they have this stardust that is kind of sprinkles everywhere, like when he's on stage. And it's an effect that they've throughout the entire documentary because what they're trying to really kind of get at is that hit the way he performed what the songs that he wrote the way that he dressed the way that he sang the way that he played piano all of that stuff is everywhere in our musical DNA today. If you're queer, LGBT, or white, or black, or brown, this movie is much more because for the first time, someone, Lisa Cortez here, she was the uh, director of this movie, she told the truth about Little Richard and his impact on American rock and roll and the entertainment industry. Now, we've all heard stories about record companies ripping off artists like Cadillac Records. That was another, that was one movie. There's tons of them that have been made. But I mean, John Fogarty just recently got to buy back some of his his
1: own songs.
0: (sighs) And he's 70 for God. He's 70 years old. So Little Richard, the documentary is really good because it uses raw footage of Little Richard, his interviews, his performances, but we hear from him how he felt uh, about what was going on in his life, what happened to him and why he denounced his own homosexuality and found it again. This is a guy who was one of the first queer performers that was out on stage loud and proud. And you gotta, I mean, you look at his outfits and you look at the way he wore his hair and the makeup and I mean, he, you know, he just, they used to call it shake. I think it was shake. You have shake, man. You have shake. And that's exactly uh, what he had. But the way the uh, experts in this film lay it out, I came away from this film with like a new woke fashion about the way they explained what happened to Little Richard and how he was accepted and not accepted in certain circles, okay? So with this new perspective that we're kind of all aware of now, uh, they really kind of hone in on this with uh, historians, but they bring a new truth to rock and roll
1: history that has been ingrained. And if you look at the rock and roll artists of the 60s, to whenever rock and roll stop being rock and roll, they all are emulating Little Richard. Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, this is the deal. Mick Jagger is in this documentary and he freely admits in the film that he copied Little Richard's onstage swagger, you know, come on. So, you know, Little Richard was besides being a fantastic musician on the piano and, and lyricist, he was a pioneering queer artist in both his music and onstage presentation. So in the film, several Several of the musician, historians, and academicians attempt to explain how queerness worked for Little Richard, with one explaining that, and this is queer, quote unquote, is anything non-normative. And most certainly, the music of Little Richard was non-normative when he first began to create his songs and perform them in segregated 1950s America. So, if you love rock and roll and you love history, and if you want a true history lesson on it, you might want to check out Little Richard's uh, Little Richard's film. Now, you're going to
1: take us to the horror, right? Yeah, a completely different angle <laughs> here. Going to look at Renfield, Ooh. and I want to talk about it in relation to some other movies that have been out uh, coming out recently.
0: It's kind of the mix, the mashup of the genres, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little bit like you said, a little bit comedy, a little bit horror.
0: Oh my God. Okay. So listen, stay tuned. We'll be right back with the new Renfield movie review. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio on KNSJ, San Diego's only social justice network. Hey, we are back in the San Diego Screenwriters Studio, and we are talking new films. Professor Raul Sandlin is going to take a bite out of the new genre mashup, Renfield, right?
1: Yeah, um, and I, I got the joke. <laughs> it's a Dracula film. <laughs> I couldn't resist. And we're seeing this new... Geared usually towards a teenage or young adult audience last year at the end of 2022. An example of this was the Megan film. Oh, right. Was,
0: you, you, you reviewed yeah, that. I, I
1: reviewed it. Yeah. A few months ago. You know, just started out as a sort of standard horror film. That was a sleeper film. It made some money. It made some money. Yeah. And it went way beyond just being a horror film. I mean, it kind of tapped into a lot of genres. Comedy, AI. 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 Uh, the the uh, dance video videos were nominated as right. kind of the best dance videos ever. Which was weird. Yeah, to have a, uh, a you know, dance videos emerge from a horror movie, right? <laughs> but, but that's the new sort of hybrid environment we're in right now. And Renfield is another uh, contribution to this. Hmm. Um, if you look at the story, um, Nicolas Cage, he plays Dracula, you know who's been alive for you know several hundred centuries whatever it may be right. and he carries the traditional dracula story forward <laughs> reminding us here and there that he's a count and you know where he came from etc cetera, etc cetera. so we have the the dracula story moving forward Okay. Ah, uh, Dracula also has his assistant. Oh, his, nice. His, what is it? His body man, his man boy, whatever you call it, and that's Renfield. Okay. And Renfield is struggling to crawl out under from underneath Dracula's persistent narcissism. <laughs> You know, but instead of you know just saying you know I don't like my boss, this guy's mean to me, he go starts going to therapy sessions. Oh no, Doctor Hankinson. <laughs> yeah, I wish Stacy was here um, to talk. You know, to talk with others in a modern setting about his codependency issues relationship with his boss uh, relationship with his boss who's been around for centuries and he just can relate to this though yeah yeah because we all have somebody like that whether they be a boss or a older sibling you know so here we see renfield Mm. you know with his whatever it is 18th century garb sitting in a uh you know one of these uh you know kind of What are they? AA meeting, NA meeting, codependency. yeah, support group. Support group, yeah, Mm -hmm. therapy group. So they're sitting in a church or, you know, a gymnasium (laughs) somewhere. Drinking coffee. (laughs) And he's talking about, you know, how he's, you know, oppressed by, you know, this 300-year-old boss he has. His codependent relationship and how to extricate himself from it, correct? Exactly. Right. Dracula keeps calling him back. (laughs) No. Actually, though the castle's gone, that was left. Where was that? Transylvania. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jinx. Um, <laughs> but the castle's gone, and actually, they're sort of down on their luck. Oh, no.
0: Dracula's poor. Yeah. Wow, for crying out
1: loud. So they start with some nice digs, but then we see him sort of packing up and moving to an abandoned building. Oh, my goodness. So Dracula is kind of on the downslide. That's
0: funny. Yeah. OK, that is funny.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of things here that it's very interesting and you wouldn't see in a quote unquote Dracula movie.
0: So does Drac, does he uh, go out and bite people?
1: He actually goes out and bites necks and then some. He has a vicious temper. He destroys stuff. Mm. We get some of those exaggerated Quentin Tarantino fight scenes.
0: This is in the theaters right now, Renfield.
1: Yes, it's in the theaters right now. So
0: it's interesting because you have always talked about the genre mashup and how interesting it makes a script. And this Mm -hmm. is the perfect example of that where you've taken... Uh, current, current problems that we all face, which is maybe an oppressive boss or, and then he goes to a support group, which we, you know, we've all been there, right?
1: In a church. In a church, <laughs> church drinking
0: yeah. coffee. And then, you know, you, homelessness. I mean, all of that is so relevant today. right? Yeah,
1: you wouldn't think Count Dracula would be homeless and packing up his gear. Well,
0: and... you know what? In this day and age, it doesn't surprise me, huh?
1: Well, it goes to show you that this could happen to everybody. Right. So, th- so there's these little social commentaries Ooh, throughout I like that. this thing. I like that. And it sounds like a heck it, of a movie. It's a day. heck of an hour and a half you know hybrid movie with a lot of different things thrown into it
0: which if you're gonna go see it try to deconstruct it and see what they're doing there right Mm -hmm. yeah that would be a great one to go and deconstruct while you're watching it anyhow that's it thank you Raul I appreciate it listen we're going to be right back with final thoughts don't go away you're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio We're just about to close the San Diego screenwriter studio door. Wow, lots of S's there. Anyhow, we are uh, real quickly
1: going to go over some new things. What do you got on the uh, film festivals? Well, I've been hinting at this for a long time, but we finally have the weekend. The San Diego 48-hour film project, it's going to be happening the weekend of June 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Right, that's a 48-hour film Get it together and uh, turn over a complete project. Basically, yeah. you You put your team together, and I would encourage people to put your teams together now. And then, you know, starting Friday evening, you put a film together. You write it, you shoot it, and you edit, and you submit it all before Monday. That sounds like so much fun. So listen, if you're new to this... Check out their
0: website, it's the 48 Hour Film Festival, and make sure that you get your team together early. We're gonna do one, the San Diego Screenwriters. Yeah,
1: we're putting a team together? (laughs) Yes, we are. Great. (laughs) Well, we've got about five weeks to do it. Oh my goodness,
0: okay, we're under the gun. Anyhow, join us, compete with us, it'll be super fun. So thank you so much, Raul, for being here today.
1: This was a great show, we did a lot.
0: Oh God, we walked the picket line, Mm. we went back and looked at the other strikes, right? We've done it all in 30 minutes. There you go. You're listening to the San Diego Screenwriter Studio on San Diego's only social justice network. Oh, thank you.